Good morning. To each of you here, some that I haven't seen for quite a while. Tim, I'm not picking on you, but it's good to see you. And uh, for those of you that are joining us on live stream, a hearty welcome. We are talking today about, from Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. And the subject clearly is end times. So I thought I would break it up into a very complicated agenda for today. It is who, what, when, and then so what. So let's uh, go over that one more time. Who, what, when, and then so what. And of course, our infamous or famous, depending on your point of view, Glenn Smith, Dr. Glenn Smith, has uh, trained us all in the so what. And uh, it really applies in this particular uh, passage today, in the way Jesus teaches. So let me just uh, work our way through it with you. I won't read it all at the beginning. I'll just read each section and then we'll talk about it. So the first part, if you've got your Bibles or a phone with a Bible on it or anything like that, turn to Mark 13 and we will work our way through the chapter. So we're going to read verses 1 to 4 first. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are going to be fulfilled? There's great, to me, humor right at the beginning here in that the great I am, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is being asked to be impressed with some walls built out of stone. Like when you stop and think about the irony of that, it, it's just, but of course, the disciples, like us, sometimes they get it and they say really smart things. Other times, they really don't get it and they say really dumb things. But we can't be hard on the disciples because we're exactly the same as we continue to learn and grow and develop in our understanding of just who God is. So... It, it, it starts off with them saying, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. I can picture Jesus wanting to say to them, um, Last night, did you look up at the stars? Like, that's what I build. Okay, like these walls, eh, not so much. But instead, he sort of takes them up where they're at. And so he responds back and he says, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished, not one stone left on another. The, they then say to him, they, they say, 
later when they're together, and very interesting here, by the way, that Andrew is in here with Peter, James, and John. Oftentimes you get the three, Peter, James, and John in special places and doing special things and Jesus inviting them into uh, opportunities that they all 12 didn't get. But here we've got Andrew tagging along. So there's actually four of them that come to Jesus privately. And some of the commentators think that in fact, as Jesus responded and taught this, that in fact all the disciples were there. But I really don't see how you read that in. It looks like, to me, there were the four of them. And Jesus teaches to the four, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Notice what the, their, their curiosity, okay? So they don't, they're not shocked. They're not, they're not um, horrified that the temple will be destroyed. But they're curious to know. And I'm sure some of us, at least, looking at the subject for today, sort of going, End times, it's like, cool, that'd be fun to sort of hear and to understand, okay, what's, what's going on? But when we think about end times in the Bible, I think most of us think about Revelation. And when we go to Revelation, it's so much imagery and types of, you know, different creatures and different sort of things that we try to picture and we try to understand what they could mean. And of course, there's commentators and great students of the scriptures down through the years that have taught what those different things mean. What's fun, Daniel also, he t talks with a lot of imagery. But when Jesus, who dwells in eternity, when Jesus, who is God himself, when Jesus speaks about end times, notice the total lack of imagery. Jesus just describes it. He just tells it. What's also fun with Jesus, my best illustration of Jesus with prophecy, is one time a number of years ago, I was out in Edmonton, and we, the Canadians that particular year were doing reasonably well, and I actually I wanted to watch the hockey game that night. But there was a local Youth for Christ board meeting, and because I was at that time the national director in Canada, it would have been really bad for me to not go to the board meeting and instead watch, sit and watch a hockey game. So my good buddy out there, whose name is Bill, he said, Dave, this is what we'll do. We will pre-record the game and we will make sure nobody tells you anything, okay? Don't look at your phone, don't, okay? So that after the board meeting, we'll go back to my place We'll eat some very unhealthy stuff, and we will watch the game. And it'll be just as if you're doing it live. And it worked. It was amazing. It actually worked. I felt all the excitement and the fun and whatever because I had no idea what was going to happen. But in fact, it was all totally predetermined, right? Because it had already happened, okay? And that's my best illustration of Jesus telling us What's going to happen? Because for us, there's an anticipation and there's, a, there, there's a, a fun in reading it and trying to understand it and picturing it. For Jesus, he is the great I am. What is past and what is future and what is now 
are, one is just as certain as the other. So as the events of the end times unfold, it will be just like watching a pre-recorded hockey game. It's all determined. It's all laid out. To give the disciples credit, they don't say, and notice their wording here, they recognize who Jesus is in the sense that they don't say to him, like they might ask you or I, so what do you think is going to happen? If, you, if, if we were even to discuss amongst the leadership of RBC of what exactly the layout and the order of all the events in the end times, okay, there would be some discrepancies. We would be ending up saying, well, I think this is what's going to happen. And I think that this is the way scripture lays this out. Okay? The disciples, notice what they say. Tell us, when will all this happen? And what sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? So I, I, I sort of I give them good marks for this. Because they, there was no uncertainty there as they asked Jesus this question. They're like, Lord, tell us. Like, we know you know, so there's no thinking here. You, you tell us what's going to happen, and we're good. All right. <clears throat> they did not ask uh, any sort of so what questions. Okay, They wanted to know. They were curious. But they didn't ask about, and so Jesus, how should we live because of it? They just wanted to get their curiosity satisfied. But what Jesus does, because he is the master teacher, as he describes this that we're going to go through, he intersperses it with instructions and with guidance for us based on what he is going to tell us. Okay, let's watch and see. So, in verse 5, you get a factual, clear description of coming events starting. Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So notice practical instruction. Don't be misled. There's going to be lots of people, lots of false religions, false messiahs, false promises, and down through the history... The last 2,000 years, we've seen that historically over and over and over again. There will be wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Have you ever wondered, in our technologically advanced society, with all the advances of modern medicine and all the great stretches we go through to try to keep ourselves healthy and well, that we still have war? Like, do you wonder, like, are we not intelligent enough as a human race to stop killing each other and to actually just try to help each other and to get along together? You would think. But Jesus already told us, no, there will be wars and threats of wars right through to the, to the end. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And as we look at our world today, in 2021, war is everywhere. And we recognize, yes, the Lord knew it. He looked ahead, he saw it, and he told us. <clears throat> nation will go to war, verse 8. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. 
We have killings, wars, natural disasters, famines. They all fill our news feeds. It's very interesting. Some of you know that I work with a global organization called Youth for Christ. And we are people. There's about 60,000 in the organization that are all around the world. Christians serving the Lord, reaching lost young people, particularly with the gospel. But every senior leadership meeting, a big part of that meeting is about the current issues in the world of famine, of war, of destruction, of natural disasters. And so as I read these, that Lord Jesus describing what is coming as we get towards the end times, I'm going, yeah, that's like, that's on our agenda every time we, every time we meet. When these things begin to happen, verse 9, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own children. Children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In North America today, we don't experience too much of this persecution for being a Christian. It may be coming but we certainly live in relative peace and we can express ourselves and our faith uh, rather peacefully. There's still a danger for us in this peaceful environment to not be bold in our faith, but to rather look for just the right time, just the right opportunity, if it ever presents itself, then maybe we'll hint at maybe the fact that somewhere maybe we had a little faith, maybe, if it's okay with you and it doesn't offend you. And we are so far removed from how the majority of the world, those that know and follow Jesus, live and practice and carry out their faith. In, I think I've shared it here from the pulpit before, but I was, I, it stands out in my mind when I was in a prayer meeting in uh, Belarus and the KGB were listening. And we're praying for a man that has been taken to Siberia for his faith, sentenced there for 20 years. And the Christians in that room are not praying for his deliverance. They're praying that he will have boldness to witness for Christ and to lead others to Christ where God has sent him. And... I, it, was, it, it, was, it, it gave you the, the chills. It was like, this is what Mark is talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about here in Mark's gospel. This is what Jesus has promised that he would do. Just this past week, I was in a prayer meeting by Zoom with our brothers and sisters in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a very difficult place to be a Christian. And there were... 2,000 people in the prayer meeting. And you're, you're just, uh, as you hear them pray, uh, the, uh, it was really early in the morning. Uh, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning. And I forgot and had my 
speaker in my office going for this rather than using my headset. I just really hadn't sort of thought. And Tristan, our grandson, comes up from the basement and says, who are those people shouting in your office? And it was, it was quite funny, but it was the, the enthusiasm in their prayer as they prayed for each other and they were praying again that God would give them boldness and courage and in the face of the terrible hardships that they, that they suffer. This is the majority, this is so much of the world. Our brothers and sisters in China right now are going through a terrible, terribly difficult time. In obviously in Afghanistan, in different nations that are just where it is really, really hard. So we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. But to you and I here, we need to be bold. We need to be offensive sometimes. That's what we are called to do. The gospel brings offense. It brings offense in families. It brings offense in relationships. But it is the gospel. It is a matter of life and death. And we need to be bold. Verse 14, the day is coming when you will see the sacrilege object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in winter, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. It will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Many times in scripture, when the prophets would speak, they would give something that had a short-term fulfillment and then a long-term fulfillment. And as they gave the short-term one, and as that was fulfilled, it gave credibility to what they were saying for the long-term one. The, the long -term one. What happened here is these were fulfilled in 70 AD. In the first Jewish-Roman war, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the, the city and its temple, and these words of Jesus were fulfilled and within a generation. But there is also a terrible time of persecution and destruction and death that is coming on Jerusalem. Verse 21, then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. Watch out, I have warned you about this ahead of time. When Jesus warns us twice, it's good for us to really take notice. And this particular warning about false messiahs, false prophets, those that would deceive us, are it's repeated over again. I challenge us in our day, there are many social pressures on us, on, in our culture, in our society, that push Christians to reinterpret scripture, to go back and, and sort of negate some things and put the emphasis on other things so that we can fit in with the culture of the day. Okay, that's not the wisdom, that's not the truth of the word of God. The truth of the word of God stands it doesn't change with the cultural times. And Jesus warns us twice that there will be those that will try to deceive. 
Now he gets to the end of the world. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Jesus is quoting here. Uh, he's referencing verses from Isaiah, from Joel. He's quoting from Daniel. There's, there's all sorts of prophecies from the Old Testament woven into Jesus' description here. But for you and I that know the Lord... You're reading all this dark gloom, and then you hear these words, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Doesn't that just thrill you? Isn't that just like, yes, after thousands of years of the Lord Jesus being rejected and his name used as a curse word and people turning away from him. And for those of us that do know and follow him, we feel our own failure so often and we find it so hard and it's so hard to feel the rejection over and over again. But my brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus will come. He will come in answer to the, all those prophetic verses and what his own words here, to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. In Paul's last writing in 2 Timothy, he talks about all those that love his appearing. You and I find no conflict here. Um, when we had, a, we had a crisis one time in our company because somebody got a raise and uh, like a promotion. They got a promotion and someone else was jealous. And the person who was jealous didn't get the promotion. They started to sabotage the uh, computer systems in the company to try to get back at the company because they hadn't gotten the promotion. And this seems so dramatic and so crazy, but I, I'm sure every one of us has felt moments of jealousy when somebody else has been given accolades or somebody else has been given recognition or someone else has been given something that we thought we actually deserved more than them. Guess what, brothers and sisters? You and I that know and love and follow Jesus, when we read that the Lord Jesus will be exalted, when we read that the Lord Jesus will be given his proper place, his place of supremacy and majesty, notice something? There is no concept of jealousy in our hearts. Isn't that crazy? I've, I've analyzed my own heart on that. Why do I not feel anything there? And yet I do so often in, in, in my world. And, but Paul says it. He says, it's all of us. If you and I know and follow Jesus, we love his appearing. And on that dark day when Satan whispers in your ear, maybe you don't really have enough faith. Maybe you really don't trust him. Maybe you're not one of his children. I ask you, think about the day of Christ's return. If you love his appearing, you are one of his. Done. And an amazing thing you will find in your heart, there is no jealousy. You want to cast your crown at his feet. Anything that comes to you, you want to give right back to him. Because he alone is worthy. Okay, so we've talked about the what will happen. The who is Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am. The one that made the stars, and he's not too impressed with a wall. 
The what? Jesus has laid it out with no imagery. He's told us what's going to happen. And it ends with the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Now when? Jesus says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree in verse 28. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. So during, in that generation, they saw the temple and the city destroyed. And so the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. But here, he now talks about a fig tree which often speaks of Israel. And when its branches bud, when its leaves begin to sprout, then know that the summer is near. And, so, and then he equates that to the end times coming or being close. And so on May 14th, 1948, the nation of Israel came into existence. It's not very long ago. Since then, we have seen this focus on the Middle East. We have seen you, you can't go a day go by where you don't have the Middle East in the, in the news. And we know that that is, the, that is the platform, that is the space, that's the, the setting for where much of the prophecy about end times will happen. It's uh, one, one uh, brother I heard explain it one time, he says, as you see things shaping up, as you see all the turmoil and all the unrest and the hatred and all the enmity there, it's like you're getting ready to watch a play, but the curtains are still closed. You're hearing them set up the stage behind the curtains. So you hear the rustling, but the, the, the curtains haven't opened yet for the, for the play to actually begin. So we are, as Jesus said, when you see these things, then recognize that it's coming, that you're close. And then the so what. Since you don't know when that time will come, be on your guard. I wanted to mention one other thing here, just for personal study, for any of you that want to look into that. The Lord Jesus himself is God, the Son. He is co-equal with God. He is not lesser than God in any way. The Lord Jesus took on humanity. He took the form of a servant and he went to Calvary's cross and laid down his life there. We marvel at trying to understand the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, no one knows the Son but the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. There's an amazing truth here where the, the Lord Jesus has taught us and showed us who the Father is and helped us to understand the Father. But to understand the person of the Son, Jesus said, only the Father knows. And I think that when you, when you try to grasp it, here's one little sort of line for you to think about. When Jesus says, not even the Son himself knows, 
Only the Father knows. You say, but wait, he's God. He knows everything. Somehow, and we, we got to be so careful because we walk on holy ground here, but somehow in the Lord Jesus taking on humanity, laying aside his, his glories, he, he does not in that, in that humanity, in who he is, he says he does not know that's up to the Father. And that just like, it, it blows our minds, but it's okay. For your mind to be blown on Jesus, that's a good, that's good. Um, but it's fun to study and look at those things. Okay, so what? So verse 33, since you don't know what this will, when this time will come, be on guard, stay alert. Verse 34, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. So I've got my own homegrown one-minute illustration of this. When I was growing up, my dad was a traveling Bible teacher, and he traveled all over North America in a Plymouth duster. For any of you that remember those cars, it had a 225 slant six in it. It had no options whatsoever. It had roll down windows. It had no air conditioning. It had no radio. And it had a seat. He was a very large man. And the seat was so thin and poorly made that he actually snapped the back of the seat one time when he was getting into the car. But he drove that car all over North America teaching the Bible. But there were no cell phones. Long distance was very expensive. And my mother and six kids, of which I was the second oldest, were at home, and we would know sort of when dad was coming because we had his schedule, but we didn't know exactly when, okay? For us as kids, you didn't want to be in a bad spot when dad came home. He would travel sometimes for four weeks or six weeks, and when he would come back, you wanted to be looking good, you wanted to have your homework done, you wanted to be, you know, in, in good relationship with mom, like, you wanted things to be okay. And there was a pressure and there was an anticipation as we waited. That is the power of the hope of the Lord's coming for those of us that are Christians. We do not know when the Lord will come. It could be today. You and I, want to be living like those that wait for their Lord. We want to be living in a way that we will not be ashamed when he comes. And now I'm going to wrap with what I would call a postscript. And the postscript is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, it lays out for us exactly how this will work. And let me just read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. 
Now concerning how and when this all happens, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them. All right, so my understanding and the understanding of most, I think, of, the, uh, of this church, those who are in leadership in this church, is that there is going to be the Lord coming, first of all, to take all those that know and love Jesus, and we call that the rapture. And that's what's described in 1 Thessalonians 4. And there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back to take the Christians home. So, today, perhaps, we could be in heaven with the Lord. And that's an awesome thing for us to look forward to and to know. There is going to be a time then of terrible trouble on the earth, and then the Lord will come in the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him, and he will set up his kingdom, and it will be awesome. But you and I get to go first. 1 Thessalonians 4 spells that out clearly. For those of us that don't agree with that, don't worry, you'll be surprised when he comes. I'm just kidding. All right. That's the message for today. I am excited in the, it just studying it and preparing it, it, was, uh, it gave my soul a great just thrill to recognize that he is coming. And brothers and sisters, let's be living in a way that we will not be ashamed when he comes. Let's in fact be with courage, standing for him, not being ashamed of his name, sharing the message with lost people that need to know him. Let's pray, and then I'll give a couple of minutes for questions. Lord, thanks for this uh, word that you gave to Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Thanks, Lord, that we get to listen in on it. Thank you that there is no hesitancy. There is no symbolism. There is no maybe this, maybe that. That, Lord, you spell it all out. And yet, the only thing we don't know is the when. And even you don't know that. I even hesitate to say it, Lord, but you said it. Even you don't know that. Only the Father knows. So we look forward with anticipation, perhaps today, 